It is December 31st, 2017, and this is the UFC 219 post-fight special. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host on SiriusXM's The Luke Thomas Show. I'm also the senior editor at MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about everything we just saw. UFC 219 just now ended. It's in the books. It's over. Let's figure out what happened. What did we see? Why did it happen? The whole nine. I'll go for about an hour or so. At the end of this, I'll take your questions on Twitter at L Thomas News. You can tweet me uh, now uh, or at the very end, and I'll get to them whenever. Uh, but um, that's an option as well. Here's the key, though. There's going to be some spoilers coming your way. So if you don't want spoilers and you're watching this live, I know some of you watch it after the fact, no harm, no foul. If you're watching this live, you have five, four, three, two, one. Okay, now we're going to get into some spoilers. So if you're here, you're into that. All right, let me say this up front. Number one, if you're watching, please subscribe to the channel below. Give the video a thumbs up. It's a big deal. I really appreciate it. This is my last video of 2017, so it'd be a big deal for me for you guys to do that. And of course, I'm always very thankful when you do. Um, On top of that... um, I want to say that this is brought to you by the Beta Academy. If you're ever in Washington, D.C. and you need a place to train that's true for wrestling or jujitsu or striking or even strength and conditioning, you can go to the Beta Academy. I'll put a link in the description box below, um, and that'll take care of you there. It's at the corner of 14th and Florida Northwest. Great area. Um, Not a lot of parking, but uh, good training you can get there, and it's a great place to stop in if you're just passing through. So big thanks to them for sponsoring this. Go check that out. Okay? All right. Let's get to it. What did we just witness? UFC 219 is over. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to talk about what Habib Nurmagomedov did, but we have to get to what we just saw. So the main event has ended. Let me pull up the results here. Chris Cyborg defeats Holly Holm via unanimous decision to retain her UFC featherweight title. Okay, the scores are as follows. 49-46, 48-47, 48-47. So she won, uh, Holm did one round on one judge's scorecards and then two rounds on two other judges' scorecards. Um, I have a hard time giving Holm any round, but here's the thing about that. I saw scores all over the place on this one. I saw scores being like, um, you know, um, home got the first two or home dropped the first two and then won the third. I saw I saw somebody even saying she won the fourth, which I don't see how that's even possible. But um, scores were a little bit all over the place. I think most people who think home won rounds think that she won either the first or the second or both. Um, but, and again, statistics don't, Statistics can be very misleading in mixed martial arts. I'll be the very first to admit that. You can have somebody lands um, 20 punches versus somebody who lands five punches, but three of those five could be uppercuts that drop them. And then the other 20 punches that the other person landed were just, you know, nothing jabs that didn't do anything. So numbers are, you've got to be very careful about including that. But uh, just for the record's sake, let me just pull this up. Cyborg outstruck her in literally every single round. In the first round, she landed 28 strikes to Holmes 8. In the second round, 22 strikes to Holmes 11. In the third round, a little bit closer, 18 to 13 for Cyborg. In the fourth round, 17 to 10. And in the fifth round, they both picked it up, 38 to 23. But literally, like the argument that 
two rounds home did, uh, at least insofar as striking differential is concerned, which, again, we have to take with very much a grain of salt. I understand. I admit it's, it is not some ironclad argument, but it does give you a bit of a roadmap um, or at least some kind of evidence that, uh, in addition to other evidence, can help you cobble together a case. Um, you know, those were two of the, like, literally the two biggest differentials were there. Here's what I saw. I saw a very competitive Holly Holm. I saw Holly Holm who had a good game plan. I saw Holly Holm who was competing up a weight class. I saw Holly Holm who had a lot of really smart strategy. You know, she was able to, as Dominic Cruz had noted, smother a lot of the ability for, you know, Cyborg is just a master of the flurry in, in the pocket, right? Like she'll land one shot, you kind of stumble. And then she just follows up with like seven shots before you even know what else happened to you. She was able to shut almost all of that down. And one of the ways that she was able to do that was by clinching. She would get double underhooks. And I have to say, I was very surprised at the strength of Holly Holm to get those double underhooks, hooks, excuse me, and then turn Cyborg and then drive her into the fence. Boy, very, very impressive. Very impressive. Like there's no argument. To me, frankly, that was the most impressive part um, about the whole event. Uh, for for Holly Holm, just total ability to hang with Cyborg. Excuse me, with Cyborg in terms of strength, um, shocking level of physical strength in that context, and just good awareness and presence of mind to be able to, uh, you know, in those moments, like the, the, they had clearly game planned correctly, and they had clearly rehearsed that game plan enough times where when they finally went live, it was seamless. You know, very, very good in that regard. So that was interesting. I thought that early on the stick and move for home was had it was having its moments here or there, right? Cyborg would eat a shot, sometimes miss. Uh, but what I eventually saw was that Cyborg was just kind of taking over. Um, Dominic Cruz noted that she would lead Holly Homewood from the southpaw position. She would lead with a left, and then everything would sort of follow from, from that, more or less, as she would get cornered. You know, Holm was going to circle on the outside. Cyborg's going to come from the center of the cage. She would try to cage cut. Holm's going to come with something here, and then everything else is going to follow behind that. And what you saw Cyborg doing was, initially, she would match her same side punch and then catch her on the exit with a hook. You saw that a few times, um, and then eventually you'd see her slip and then counter over the top. You saw that. You just saw a lot of different things where she could tell what was coming, so that was a big problem. And the other problem was, even if they both landed, Cyborg had virtually no damage on her face, like none. And Holmes' nose was jacked up. Her It looked to me like her left eye was swollen shut. Yeah, right, because the hook was catching her at the end and on the exit. Um and so she was clearly, 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 to me anyway, taking more damage uh, in every round. Uh, forget about the sort of numerical value of it all. Uh, it just looked to me like she was being just physically uh, overwhelmed. Now, dominated? No, I don't think that's fair at all. I felt Holly Holm, Holly Holm had made a strong case that like, there's this cyborg has this reputation as somebody who's like this bruising marauder and like in some ways that reputation is fair because that's the way she used to fight but if you've been watching her more recently including that second kunin fight from like the second kunin fight on you could basically tell like yeah some of the other fights after that were pretty short but she's much more of a technician than her current reputation awards her and i don't and i, I think there's some like uh more acknowledgement that needs to happen in that regard. Um, so I thought Holm had like a really good game plan in the sense of um, 
you know, speaking to our own strengths, staying on the outside. Um, but overall, I just thought Cyborg's patience was and, and, and ability to land a hard shot was just too much. It was just too much. Um, she, she was numerically outstruck in every round, and she was quite physically outstruck in every round. That wasn't to say that Holm didn't have her moments. Um, it's not to say that Holm didn't make it very competitive. Look, she went. She took Cyborg five rounds. She didn't get knocked down one time. Uh, Holly Holm didn't. Um, you know, again, competing up a weight class, like at least insofar as MMA is concerned, like that's a very commendable effort by Holly Holm. No doubt about it. I'm just having a hard time. And again, I, I, I will uh, look at me. I am per, I am perfectly willing to acknowledge that I saw lots of different people with lots of different scores. I saw lots of people who either gave home the first or the second or both. I'm acknowledging that happened. I want you as the viewer to know that while I didn't see that at all, and I, I frankly have a hard time understanding that, it would be incorrect of me to say that everybody out there was the same on this. This is not like Habib versus Edson, which was like this complete, you know, beatdown. Not not like that at all. Not like that at all. There was there is clearly a diversity of opinion especially as to the early part of the fight, not so much about who won, but about who maybe who won those rounds. That should be noted. Um, I, I, I'm just sorry. I just don't see it, guys. I really, really don't. I'm, I'm trying to. I guess you could probably give her one of those two rounds, depending on what you were looking at. But I think, that, look, and I know everyone's going to be like, oh, I don't I don't agree. You, you need to understand something about this. Cyborg has never really had an advocate in the media. Right. I mean, people want to accuse the MMA media of being biased, and there is lots of good arguments for that a lot around a, a number of particular issues. Um, but when it comes to Cyborg, no one has ever advocated for her, at least not until recently. Um, now, this isn't to say that Holm has been, you know, the beneficiary of this, you know, glowing treatment that no one else in the world got when she fought uh, Rousey. You know, she was a bit of an afterthought too. Don't, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that because Cyborg has been under or poorly promoted that you know Holm has been some you know some darling from day one. Although you know I do think that in general she's been promoted pretty well. But I guess my point being is you have to understand the MMA fan base and, the, and to an extent the media too. They have been conditioned to negatively view Cyborg. And I know people have attitudes about what they perceive to be her performance-enhancing drug use. And I understand that as well. And she did, in fact, fail a test during her strike force days. But I don't understand how people can have a really negative attitude towards her and use this totally horseshit. good argument it's not a good argument either the argument is uh, uh usada is good and will catch cheaters uh or it's not and i understand she hasn't been under Sada for the entirety of her career she clearly got caught using something she atoned for that the amount of other fighters who have had run-ins with uh, anti-doping policies particularly on the male side of things a number of run-ins with anti-doping policy failures not not limited to josh barnett or nate marquardt or many of your i get asked all the time about ben rothwell he's had issues too and there is nary a word spoken about it um because we have been conditioned through the animosity that the promotion had with this fighter 
to view her in this incredibly, incredibly negative light. And if you want to be consistent and you want to say, um, those guys, what they did is wrong and what she did is wrong and I hold them all in contempt, well then, okay, fine. No problem. No problem about it at all. But what you, you, you fundamentally need to recognize is she has failed one test, one test at one time in her career. And that's not to say that she hasn't used beyond that because many other people have never failed. Lance, what test did Lance Armstrong fail? And he passed them all. But either we are going to allow her to compete or we're not. And either we're going to say USADA works or it doesn't, right? You got to fundamentally make some choices about this. And insofar as the rules after that indiscretion she had, which no doubt about it is part of a resume, insofar as these rules we've set up and these parameters that we've arranged matter, she has met all of them. So either you want to say she shouldn't be allowed to compete, or she should. And if she should, she has to obey the rules. And since that failure, she's obeyed all the rules. So I really don't understand what the problem is here anymore. Well, she doesn't pass the eye test. She doesn't have a, a requisite degree of femininity for my own personal taste. Yeah, that's great. That's got fuck all to do with science, or fuck all to do with evidence. That's got nothing to do with anything. Unless you guys are endocrinologists and you can fundamentally declare from afar by viewing this person on television, oh, she is clearly still using. I can tell that's that's not mm, that's not five years of steroids abuse. That's seven to ten years of steroids. You're just making shit up. You're making shit up, and you and you have been conditioned to dislike this person, and so you have this. Uh, not, not maybe you don't feel this way, but for those of you who do, you feel this like tremendous amount of disregard for her. If you want to feel disregard for her for her one failure, you are absolutely entitled to do that. But you better spread it around to everybody else who's had a problem, and the ones who've had multiple problems, I better start seeing you jack it up to another degree, because. Other than that discretion, she has played by the rules that were laid out before her. And, and if you have evidence to the contrary, by all means, I am I am ready to listen to it. But until then, I just don't give a fuck. I'm sorry. I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm so tired of hearing, well, look, she doesn't pass the... Uh, yes, yes, thank you, Dr. Blind Ass. I don't... This is not helpful to anybody. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just don't... I just really don't understand anything about that and i and i frankly want to say you know, can i tell you affirmatively as we're watching now that she has never used since that one time no of course i cannot declare it to you at all i can't declare it to you about anybody um none of that is anything that's uh, uh written into stone um but what you can't also disregard if you want to say well she has evaded authorities all this time okay maybe she has I, again i don't know um but what I don't want to hear is that there's nothing to be said. There's nothing to be said about the year-over-year -year negative campaign. I was there in Baltimore. It was at UFC 173, 174 when Jones fought uh, Teixeira, where Dana White did his She's Vanderlei Silva in a dress, this sort of apex moment of negativity about Cyborg. I mean, and then all the things Ronda said about her and all the things everyone else has said about her. You're going to tell me this had zero effect on the attitudes of the fan base? Please, please, what a ridiculous argument this is. All of those things go into that. Who was getting cheered tonight? Holly Holm. Good. She's a great person. She deserves to be cheered. Who was getting booed tonight? Chris Cyborg. Does she deserve the jeering that's out there? Again, either she should be allowed to compete or she shouldn't. And if she's going to be allowed to compete, she has to comply with the rules as they're written. And she does. And that's the end of it. Uh, until further evidence is offered that can change this narrative.
which in fact it may happen. I don't know. Uh, I'm just I'm just speaking to you with the information that we have now, and I'm just so tired, so tired of watching dudes get caught with multiple failures. Well, there there goes old slipping Jimmy again. He just you know he just he just falls on a needle. He just he just can't help himself. And then Cyborg pops once, and it's like this this mongrel, this creature. You know, uh, oof. can't stand it. Can't stand anything about it at all. Um, okay. That aside, in terms of the fight itself, we went over the clinching of Holly Holm. Very impressive. Her footwork, as always, very impressive. There's a bit of an, a predictability, as Dominic Cruz had noted, about which way she was always exiting off that left. She did it against Ronda Rousey, too. She did it to an extent against Jermaine Durand to me. In many ways, almost a similar fight to Jermaine Durand to me. Um, but it just, looked, it just looked to me like Cyborg hit a lot harder. So uh, it counted in ways that, I mean, I know Durand Durand to me won too, but that one to me was like ultra debatable. Uh, this one, a lot less so. It was just a clean win for Cyborg for me. Uh, close rounds for sure. Um, wrong account of herself, absolutely. But in the end, I don't, I, there wasn't much mystery to me by the time that the final bell round uh, rung. So I give all the credit in the world to Holly Holm for stepping up. Uh, and winning the way she did, but it's pretty clear that Bantamweight is the place for her. What has she lost? Jeez, I guess she's lost four of the last five, but two of those have been outside of her weight class, so it's a little bit deceiving. Um, Yeah, she's lost four of her last five, but she's not, like, I don't get the sense that she's not competitive anymore. I don't get that sense at all. I get the sense she's very competitive, but I think she just needs to go back to Bantamweight and retool there because that's where she's going to be able to with whatever is left of her athletic career. And she looked pretty good, all, all things considered. Uh, it looks to me like Bantamweight is the way to go. Now, are they going to do Chris Cyborg versus Megan Anderson? Your guess is as good as mine. I don't really know what they're going to do. You know, I, I just don't know. Um, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. You know, All right, if you're still watching and you haven't been completely turned off because you have incredibly negative attitudes about Chris Cyborg, please consider subscribing to the channel. It really is a big deal for me, and it helps out a lot. Please like the video. I always appreciate it when you do. Even if you have disagreement, what do you come here for? You come here to hear what you want to hear? You come here for someone's honest opinion, huh? Do me a solid, all right? Now, putting that aside, maybe we can all find some consensus here. Maybe I can reel you back in. Maybe I can find a way to build that bridge back to the audience. And I think I have an idea how to do that. Let's talk about that co-main event. Let's talk about Habib Nurmagomedov. Listen to these scores. Habib the Eagle, Nurmagomedov, defeats Edson Barboza via unanimous decision. Ready for this one? 30-25. 30-25 and 30-24. Whoa. Whoa. That might be the best performance out of Habib Nurmagomedov I've ever seen. That makes him, what, 25-0? and 0? And I tweeted this, and Ben Askren was kind of like, he tweeted like a wink emoji over it because there are some obvious overlaps to their game. But I said this before, and I think I will repeat this. I am not sure I have ever seen an MMA grappler like Habib Nurmagomedov. You guys remember back in the day when Tito Ortiz take a guy down, get in his guard, and then just yeah, with the elbows, and he's coming to the top with punches, and he didn't have a need to pass. He'd press you up against the fence because that was – the right kind of pressure with the right kind of damage with the right kind of strategy, given the best practices in terms of people being off their back or, you know, fighting the takedown at the time. Habib Nurmagomedov has all of that for the modern context. Like here's, what's crazy about what he's doing. 
Uh, he gets the takedown from super non-ideal positions. You know, like he doesn't drive the shoulder. Like Javel DeSanjos has good takedowns against lesser wrestlers where he's able to drive the shoulder in deep and then get his hands together. Nurmagomedov doesn't wait for that. Like his shot on the double is not awesome. But on the body lock, the trips, the the pull downs, the mat returns, they're they're insane. And and to me, like what he's doing is he's applying pressure. He's hitting control positions maybe threatening a position at the same time, waiting for you to go a different direction, and then based on that, moving around it and then claiming a new position. Like All of that is happening at the same time. Control, uh, damage, submission attempt, pass, maybe a mount, Maybe maybe I'm just trying to stuff a leg in from leg drag or something. Like All of that is working in tandem. He's pulling strings and and turning levers and everything else all at the same time it is it is a it is a it is you are watching a genius paint that is what that is man this is <laughs> this is pre van gogh slicing off his ear uh, it, I've just never seen anything. Like, I've never seen anything like that. You might say, well, Ben Askren is a very similar game. And Ben Askren is an outrageously talented guy, of course. I did a technique talk for MMA fighting about Habib. And the guy I used to talk about him was Ben Askren. Because I figured, who knew this guy's game better than him? And no doubt about it, man, Ben has been underappreciated his whole career, too. Here's the difference insofar as I'm concerned. The ferocity and pace of what Nurmagomedov does on top just seems a little bit more. Like, eventually, and not, not that Ben works slowly, that, that wouldn't be fair either. But I, I, if, I'm, if I'm thinking about the guy who causes like your eyes to pop open like saucers, because of his positional advancement combined with the violence he's executing on top. In that sense, I think Habib is is freaking peerless. From an architecture game plan, you know, there's obvious overlap with what he does with with Askren. But in that sense, like I was mainly making this point, like how good of a commentator is Dominic Cruz? He is shockingly good. Shockingly good to the point where it makes doing shows like this hard. I got to do a Monday morning analyst. It makes that hard. The only good news for me about that Monday morning analyst is that Habib on the ground, on the ground, not on the feet where da -da 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 -da, bang, you know, throw, throw something over there. No, none of that. On the ground works so fast that Rogan and Cruz couldn't even keep up with all the fucking things he was doing there on the ground. Understand on the ground, you're not going to move as fast. You're 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 trying like it's almost like you're trying to get weakened at Bernie's, and you're trying to get this guy to do the tango with you. Like the amount of physical manipulations, this this takes time and it's hard. And this guy's resisting and he's posting and he's and he's and he's pushing and he's getting to his hips. Like it, it, it's it's a naturally slower process. There might be moments of explosion or like a quick hook. For a back take, but generally it's going to be, you know, pure jujitsu is a little bit different, but in MMA, it's a slower process. You know, it's a slower process. And he was lapping them by, you know, grabbing the wrist, handing it to his other wrist, pounding, pounding, pounding. Shoulder goes down. He tries to sink the arm. Barboza rolls a certain way. That allows Nurmagomedov to slide the, the knee across the waist a la Zabit uh, to then take him out. You're like, holy fucking shit, what is, this guy, what is this guy doing? I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anything like that in my life. 
I have seen guys have very, very similar game plans. I have seen some wizards, man. And Demi and Mai has a very different approach. He likes to take he likes to take you down. He likes to really work from the back. He did these sort of like what do you, what do you call it? The reverse half guard or the invisible half guard with Gunnar Nelson. But generally speaking, he likes to go on top of you. If you if you give him the mount, he'll take it. But he likes to work from the back. Nurmagomedov says, "Fuck all that noise." doesn't need it at all he will ride you from a leg ride he will ride you with a hook in he will ride you with uh, on his wrist and just sort of driving your face into the canvas he appears to be strong um daniel cormier told me that he'll wrestle with luke rockhold and in the end basically luke rockhold gets the better of it because he's you know he's a good wrestler himself he's very athletic and he's you know he's what two weight classes bigger i mean luke rockhold could even fight at 205 but he was like dude it's super competitive like like Nurmagomedov is very, very competitive with anybody that way. Even middleweights like Luke Rockhold, like they got to be on their P's and Q's with that guy. Uh, you know, a, 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 there was a moment in that first round where I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, Barboza is after, not after weigh-ins, like when he shows up to the cage is shredded, shredded. Old boy has, I mean, he's got some traps on him, the abs, the whole nine, man, in incredible shape, athletic and 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 were it not for this Dagestani guy, you know, laying on not laying on him, but you know, dragging him, is usually in really good shape, especially for a three round contest like that. There was a moment there in that first round. I was saying to myself, I was like, it looks like he is fighting a guy who is filling in on short notice from two weight classes down because they just had to find someone to show up, and and then this guy is just ragdolling him. It, I couldn't believe I'd never seen it like it. Like one of the things for me that, like, if you ask me, uh, and if you know anything about my work, I've been high on Habib for a long time, and the reason why was because I had never seen a guy who. There's lots of different systems of takedowns, right? So you can get that collegiate where you get the knee pound double, knee pound single, head outside, head inside, right? Sort of like the folk style wrestling slash freestyle, and then you can get that Greco style where you got body locks and everything else like that. And then you got maybe a judo style where you saw it. Um, who had it in this one? Yes, he had it in this one. No. Uh, I forget who had it in this fight or this in this card. Someone else in this card had a nice use of the wizard too. But um, he'll have a, you know, there's takedowns from the wizard or from an underhook, and then there's trips and there's throws. And and look, folk style, freestyle wrestling, they have trips and throws too. And in wrestling, or excuse me, in, ju in judo, uh, they have, you know, Morote Gari, which is basically like a double leg. Like all of them basically have the other things. But really, if you're talking about specialization at the highest level, your average judoka is not going to have a super awesome double. And if you're talking about your average, you know, high level wrestler from folk style, they're not going to have necessarily the best trips from the wizard. Nurmagomedov, at least insofar as MMA is concerned, one of the reasons why I really liked him was because I was like, immediately it was clear to me, he had incredible doubles and singles when he needed them. He had body locks when he needed them, and then he had throws from the wizard. So like whatever direction you stopped, it, it, like Habib's first effort takedown is not great. His second, better. His third is fucking, is, is just a nightmare, is a complete nightmare. And and that's what that's what really sort of like shocked me here. Now he's added in, passing he had some of it before but it's even better now passing obviously his wrist riding has always been tremendous but he looked to me like he was in great physical shape like obviously the help he had with his nutritionist really set him into overdrive you know it, it was i mean i was i was sitting there gobsmacked gobsmacked at what we were watching now he did slow down in the second round he slowed down a bit in the third too uh barboza had his moments as well i want to talk about that in just a second but um Wow. I mean, him versus Tony Ferguson is going to be 
the motherfucking shit. <laughs> I know that is an incredibly inarticulate, you know, living in a van down by the river way to describe it, but I cannot, I cannot wait for that contest. Maybe he gets Connor. I find it highly unlikely. I find it very likely that him and Tony are going to face off, which is a bit of a problem because I would love to see Connor fight both those guys. But whatever Connor's doing is whatever Connor's doing. Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov, which we were supposed to get many, many moons ago, although earlier this year, this was a huge night for Habib because he started off the year very poorly with that inability to even make weight, going to the hospital, terrible reputational harm that he suffered, um, goes back to the drawing board, trains the right way, shows up, makes weight, no problem. On fight night, look, I mean, beyond tremendous, like peerless in MMA in terms of what he can do on top. And then, uh, you know, you sort of have to say to yourself, that's a great way to end the year, and that's a great setup for the what I will suspect will be the eventual Tony Ferguson fight. Because Tony Ferguson has awesome takedown defense, and Tony Ferguson doesn't get tired, and Tony Ferguson can take a hell of a shot, and he's going to need all of that to deal with that boogeyman from Dagestan, Russia. You're going to need <laughs> pack a lunch, kids, because it's you're going to need it. You're going to need it if you want to fight in that weight class against him. How can you look at that guy and what he did tonight and say to yourself, be like, yeah, Connor sleeps him, no problem. Look, don't underestimate Connor. So many guys have done that, and so many guys have paid for it. Hashtag Jose Aldo, 13 seconds. Don't be that guy. Early on, Conor McGregor's power and accuracy is a nightmare for for Habib. It's a nightmare for Tony Ferguson. It's a nightmare for just about anybody. Even Floyd Mayweather, I made this point on the night back in, what was it, August, where they fought. Even Floyd Mayweather, and you could say, well, he was coasting. Right, but even he didn't really want to engage with McGregor in those early parts of that fight. Even he had enough sense to be like, I could probably win this way, but let's play it smart. Let's play it smart and you know, not really doing a whole lot. He is accurate and powerful and and very deadly early. But how can you watch what Nurmagomedov did tonight and say to yourself, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Habib's got much for him. It's like, oh, my God, like that guy. I mean, he could, I mean, would you favor him over RDA at 170? I probably would. Would you favor him over Tyron Woodley at 170? Now, maybe that's a bridge too far, but I don't think it's a crazy thought. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov is a generational talent, a generational talent, and this guy needed a big performance. I would have liked to see him get a stoppage tonight, but that's about as good as you're going to get, absent a stoppage. And this guy goes out there and absolutely hammers Edson Barboza in the, in, in the way he needed to. In the way he needed to. Now, let me say one note, if I can, about Edson Barboza, because I was thinking about this earlier. Uh, here's Edson Barboza's resume. Let me read this to you, if I may. Okay, here is his UFC resume. Ready for this? Y'all will forget this, but he won this via leg kick. Mike Lulo. Then he fought a Anthony Njikawani, Ross Pearson, Terry Adam, Jamie Varner, Lucas Martins, bad motherfucker Lucas Martins, Rafael Oliveira, Tractor, uh, Danny Castillo, Donald Cerrone, Bobby Green, Michael Johnson, Paul Felder, Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis, Gilbert Melendez, Benil Dariush, Habib Nurmagomedov. Let me say something about Edson Barboza. There was a moment there in that fight where I was really wondering if that team of his should have thrown in the towel, and it got a little dicey there. 
he got a little dicey in that third round when he eventually got that takedown. You're like, I don't know if this guy needs to be taking this punishment. But he hung on, and he went the distance because he has an unbelievable amount of heart. And let me say this about his record. You heard the names I just read off to you. Edson Barboza has never ducked anyone. Anyone. It didn't matter. Uh, these names I read you. He didn't win these fights against Varner or Cerrone or Johnson or Ferguson or Nurmagomedov. He didn't win those fights. But he went out there and he fought those guys anyway. He went out there and fought the best he could, fight in and fight out. And sometimes he got great wins and sometimes he got bad losses. But the guy went out there and never ducked anybody in his generation. Maybe it will be the case that when Edson Barboza hangs up his gloves that he was never a UFC champion. And that's unfortunate. But what you can never say about Edson Barboza was that, well, you know, he just didn't fight the right, you know, he did, maybe he didn't fight the right guys, but... You know, he didn't really fight the best of his generation. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Every time. How do you not respect Edson Barboza's resume? It is filled with great white sharks all the way down. All the way down. And it's got some blemishes, but it's got blemishes because he went out there and he took risks. I have an enormous amount. Same for Holly Holm, too. I have an enormous amount of respect for Edson Barboza for being a 155 and fighting all of these really, really, really tough challenges. Very, very, very much. Um, and I think all of us had need to do a little tip of the cap to Nurmagomedov because for what he did, and another tip of the cap for for uh, Edson Barboza for never ever shying away from a challenge in an era where everyone's like, I don't know what will this do for me, and I'm going to talk shit on Twitter, and and that has its place. But you know. It's just nice to see a guy show up and be like, I'm just going to be super scary and I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight the best guys I can. I'm going to take those risks. And you have to appreciate all those guys while they're here. Don Cerrone is another guy just like that, you know. So thank you to Edson Barboza for what, what was an incredible effort. And if, if, if you're a lightweight in the UFC and you watched what Nurmagomedov did today, you better go to the gym tomorrow. <laughs> I know tomorrow's January 1st. Well, I guess now, uh, yeah, no, tomorrow will be January 1st. Uh, you better go to the gym tomorrow. You better not skip a day because that boy is is ahead of just about all of you. Um, and it's gonna take it's gonna take a special effort to sit him down. And I wish you all the best of luck. Because, <laughs> like I said before, you're gonna need it. Uh, okay, so if you're still watching me, which I know some of you do because I look at the numbers on this, I very much appreciate it. Last time I'm going to ask this. I won't ask this until the very, very end of the video. We're going to go through the rest of the card here. Please like it. Uh, please subscribe to the channel. It's really great for me. It's my last video of the year. Can you do me a solid? I would really, really appreciate it. I'm talking to you at 148 in the morning. Can you help me out? I know we made I'm, – I'm sure that many of us disagree about Cyborg, but surely we can all agree about the rest of this. Okay, with that out of the way, let's break down the rest of this card. Toot sweet. Uh, Dan Hooker defeating Mark Diakisi. Guillotine choke at uh, 42 seconds of the third round. I, I actually, I'll take credit for this one. I tweeted at the beginning of the, the fight. I was like, you know what, man? Dan Hooker is a, uh, he does not have, Dan Hooker does not have a reputation that he very much deserves. This guy is smart and sneaky technical. And by that, what I mean was, I think at 145, he just didn't get a sense of how, how good he was. But he is very tactical. Uh, never been finished, I think, in the UFC. Maybe in all of MMA, but never in the UFC. He's lost some fights, for sure. But um, 
you know, guys can lose fights and you can still see wheels turning, you know, they, they, where they, they're clearly making good choices about how to, you know, pursue a fight or to address an opponent. And I've always looked at Dan Hooker and been like, man, he makes a lot of good choices. Like, maybe in the end he got overwhelmed here or there, but there's a lot to like from him. And uh, he had a, he, he basically hit a power guillotine. He drove the elbow. I think he hit a leg kick on Diakisi, Casey, whatever, Casey shoots. And he there's a way to, to prevent a takedown where you could dig an underhook, or this you have this new bit where you kind of drive your hip into him, and then you and you almost catch him with the crook of your elbow here, and then you drive him up. And what he did was he kind of put his weight on top of it, hands here, and I think he uh, made a fist and then put a hand over like a ball and socket joint, and then drove it over and then jumped guillotine with it because he's long and lanky like that, and got him. And I I had tweeted uh, that you know. DKC is clearly a superior athlete, but Hooker is sneaky, sneaky, sneaky technical. And if this goes past the first, look out. Sure enough, third round in, he got it. I, I thought it was a bit of a – here's what I think about DKC. I think he's very, very talented. And he had this style before where he was like, you know, take these big risks, and then he ended up on his back. And now he's sort of pulled back a little bit. And he's a little bit more, you know, almost sparring-ish with his intensity. I think he needs to dial the intensity a little bit back up because he's at his best when he's bringing that athleticism to life, which I didn't really see here. You know, Hooker took his back in the second round and he was just getting out grappled. It just wasn't it just wasn't his best effort, Dia Casey. So uh, I would like to see him a little bit. I think he's still got some seasoning. How old is Dia Casey? He's like a young guy, right? Like hey, he's 24 years old. So he's got some he's got some time for sure. Um and for Dan Hooker, tremendous, tremendous win. Uh, and he, you know, calling out the UFC telling the put on that Perth card. I hope they do. Um, because I think that Dan Hooker has been doing very quietly some very impressive things, defeating some tough guys and doing it in, in interesting ways. And that deserves to be acknowledged a little bit more than this post fight special. Carla Esparza defeating Cynthia Calvillo. I know it's pronounced Calvillo to many of you. Uh, 29 28 across the board have no issue with that at all um in some parts of the spanish-speaking world two l's is treated as a y which is treated as a j sound so that's how i'm going to pronounce it because that's how i was taught and i was taught that by many many native spanish speakers that's why it's medellin uh, or as the argentines say medellin because you can pronounce it that way as well in any case um Esparza was getting overwhelmed in that first round. Beautiful timing on the takedown by Calvillo to get her down. And then on top, a total nightmare. Triangling early, sagging her hips, but then you keeping live toes to pressure in. You saw she had the crook of the um, – she had a good cross face on Esparza, turning her head to the side, right? Like real hard pressure with that shoulder. Really, really good stuff from her and was able to kind of advance. And then, again, she gets you to make these big explosive movements. She actually kind of pulls back on the brakes a little bit, um, gets someone to take a big explosive movement, and then takes the next uh, opportunity to advance her position from there. She's really, really good at that. Plus, she takes risks as well. Uh, now, as far as I had a rally at the very, very end, like for the last five seconds or something, 10 seconds in the first round, but that was pretty clearly a, a, a Calvillo round. And then after that, they just kind of exchanged on the feet, and it was pretty even. Calvillo getting taken down, but doing a good job for, through a variety of different ways, either by posting or um, rolling to to get back to her feet. Um, so there was not much to be said about the takedowns there for Esparza. 
but it was pretty even on the feet. And Esparza, I just thought, was a little bit busier. It was looked, looked to me like Calvillo was just waiting to respond, and Esparza was doing a good job uh, maintaining, if nothing else, activity with the leg kicks, right? So there was that as well. Um, I didn't understand the game plan from Calvillo. It's like, if you're that good on top and you don't want to be on bottom, why aren't you shooting more? Because you can get in. You, you all, remember, for a takedown, you always want to be in punching range. I should be able to stick my hand out and touch the person. That's 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 takedown range. Well, you're getting there a lot. So why aren't you making a more concerted effort to shoot? Esparza was, you know. I just thought in the end, Esparza had a more dedicated commitment to the game plan, uh, a better use of a diversity of strikes, and some veteran savvy too. You know, they on that clinch break, she came over the top with that elbow. It was nice, man. It was nice. Um, so I thought she deserved that win. I thought if you wanted to give Cynthia another round, you probably could like find a way to justify it. But I don't. I don't. I don't. I think. I, I just think in the end, uh, on the ground, Calvillo was very talented in that division, in that women's strawweight division. But on the feet, there's a lot of work that has to get done. Now, I also had to mention this before. I know folks would be like, oh, this is not really true. I'm not declaring to you it would be affirmatively true. But heading into this contest, she had already fought four times this year and won all four. This was her fifth fight of 2017, her fourth in the UFC, and she had finished two of them. The other one prior to tonight was Joanne Calderwood. I know there's some controversy about that. I kind of thought Cynthia won that one pretty cleanly. Um, and make weight, and it was in Scotland. So then she heads into this tonight. You have to say to yourself, well, if she goes in there, she fights five times in one year. And let's say she had stopped uh, as far as I mean, she got nowhere close, but let's say she had. You know, to me, that's a contender for fighter of the year. Now, you can debate that. I'm not declaring to you it's your runaway choice. And I, again, I made this point before. If you want to talk about strength of schedule, I, I understand it. I'm not here to tell you that she beat the best people. People are like, well, the people she fought in the first two UFC uh, fights were combined nine and six, right? She fought a couple of those on short notice and she finished them. So. You know, uh, what more are you supposed to ask for? Uh, and I understand that's not the same as Demetrius Johnson beating Wilson Hayes. It's not the same as Rose Namajunas beating Joanna Jacek. It's not the same as Robert Whitaker beating Yoel Romero. But all those people only fought twice, F fighting five freaking times in one year. Um, and, if, and, and if you could win all five, it would be incredible. Now, she lost, so it's not even she's not even a contender anymore. But um, that, that, there was a possibility there, at least, at least including her on a list. So not just a loss here probably a learning experience she's young too but a big moment that could have she really could have catapulted herself i think in certain ways and and she didn't for carla esparza though bit of a redemptive win before the fight i thought she was like waiting like outside the principal's office you know since losing to yoani jacek she beat juliana lima she lost to random marcos in a very competitive contest then she beat marina morose and then she beat cynthia like you know she's doing okay in that division is she the champion no um the loss to Ian Jacek was was very justified, but Carlos Barza is good. She's a good fighter, man. She's a good fighter. She deserves some respect, and she had a good win tonight. Ugh, what do you want to say about this one? Neil Magny defeating Carlos Condit, 30-27, 30-27, Man. Huh. This was a tough one to watch. Um, all right. Here's my sense about Carlos Condit. Let's see if you guys agree. After the fight was over, I was like, for sure he lost. Okay, but my sense was number one, he did not look shop worn. He looked out of sorts at times, but he did not look super hesitant to throw. 
And that is usually your telltale sign that somebody is shot when they just like BJ Penn against Dennis Seaver, you know, they just kind of stand there and they don't exactly go down all the time, or maybe they land a punch or two, but they're real hesitant to throw. I didn't see that. I did not see a shop worn fighter tonight. I did not see that. So that's good news. Number two, the time off. I think it helped him rejuvenate mentally. I think it helped him rejuvenate physically. I think that it hurt his progress. You can't have one without the other. You can't take the time off and heal your body and then miraculously assume that that will have no implications for um, your ability to you know, be dialed in. Like, I think the time off had some good. I think the time off had some bad. And he he showed signs of both of that. Third, it is at this point absolutely clear to me that both Carlos Condit and Robbie Lawler have not been the same since their war. They're still good fighters. They might still have some left for a UFC-level career. But I don't think they're ever going to be the same. And I think they left a piece of themselves in the octagon that night. I don't I don't think there's I, I cannot imagine how someone could really truly debate that. I'm not here to tell you that Carlos Condit has to hang it up because I don't think that's true. And I'm not here to tell you that Robbie Lawler has to hang it up. Hey, he just gave Javier Dos Anjos a decent fight, right? But I just don't know how you can look at that and say that those guys have been the same since that day. They haven't. You know, there's a cost to be paid in this game where you go and you go through wars like that, where, I mean, you're just being thrashed about in this maelstrom of elbows and knees and sweat and fear and bones and sinew and adrenaline and blood. And you don't come out the same the other side of those, man. You just don't. You know, there is, it's not really that father time gets you. It's, you know, I feel like I feel like you know, grueling fights like that where there's a lot of damage and they go on for a long time and you sort of wonder how the human body can deal with something like this. I feel like those are the you know, they're, they're the cousins of father time. I don't know what the proper label would be, you know, but but there are the daughters or something of of uh, they 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 degrade the person who um, has to experience them. They're just never the same after that. And the good news is, I think for Condit that if he wants to continue and he gets the proper matchup, I think he can still win. Um, but I think to me, this idea that he'll just go back to being what he was. Never say never, you know, you don't, you, you don't want to judge too, too much, but I would be, if I'm convinced of anything, it is that, that him and Lawler, they gave, a, they gave to each other that night. Uh, you know, and, you know, the funny part about it is like, you can, I mean, Robbie Lawler won that contest, right? And it was close, very close. I thought Condit had won it, but it was close. And Lawler had poured it on at the end because he's a he's a, a G. Um, when we talk about robberies in MMA. I'm not going to call that one a robbery because it was so close. But I will say this: 
don't you feel like something is lost when you can make a case for Condit that he won? You can make a case. I'm not declaring it outright, but you can make a case that he won outright and that he was never the same after that. Like, he gave everything for that. And, you know, had a nice pat on the back and a decent paycheck, I'm sure, to show for it. But, you know, again, robbery is not quite the right, quite the right word, but it feels like something was taken from him. You know, even if he had been given the belt, he, you know, there would still be problems. But I don't know. I don't know. I just feel for Carlos because he's such a nice guy and people love him. And you know what he's capable of or what he once was capable of? To be clear, I think he's still capable of winning. But Neil Magny had the right game plan. You know, Neil Magny was on him from the word go. Um, shutting down as, as again, Dominic Cruz had noted. Dominic Cruz did just an unbelievable job doing commentary. He's so hard. Whatever he does commentary, I'm always, like, excited about it because he's good at it. But I'm always dreading it because it's, like, it takes away all the things I wanted to talk about. Um, and then he talks about things I don't, I don't even see, you know. So it makes it really hard to do this job. But to me, basically, I thought in the grappling context, smothering Carlos Condit, being on top of him, finding that body lock or that, you know, underhook and then body lock trip to get on top of him or, you know, uh, doing mat returns, dropping the hips up, bringing them down, and then, you know, just leg dragging him, right? He did a lot of leg drag. And Carlos Condit had some decent leg lock starts. I noticed, but like he would start a leg lock and then Neil would answer for it and then he wouldn't answer for it. So you start the process. This person tries to challenge it, which is natural. Challenge that challenge uh, or at least stay ahead of the challenge. And he never did. So you just see Neil Magny untie it and then weave through the guard every time. Um, so that was... Again, I didn't exactly see somebody who was shop-worn. I don't think that's fair, but I just thought Neil Magny was right to be right on top of him. Months, Get on him, stay on him, put the heat on him, and never let him get comfortable, never let him get settled. He did have some moments when he was backing Neil up against the fence where he was. you saw the elbows and the combos. Right, those That was a great, great uh, run for Carlos. But other than that, he was just getting controlled, and I thought Neil did a good job sticking behind the jab when he needed to, and um, putting the fight on the floor when he needed to and putting the fight in the grappling or the clinching contest uh, context, excuse me, when he needed to as well. So it was just it was just a it was a diligent, smart, prepared, ready game plan by Neil Magny, and he's your deserving winner for sure. You go to the prelim card, uh, Michael, I cannot pronounce his donkey's name. Uh Oleksiuk, Oleksiuk, I, I can't do it. Defeating Khalil Roundtree, thirty twenty-seven across the board. You know what was weird about this? I I thought, well, I thought Khalil won the first round, I guess. But more than that, um, I don't know if Khalil had a bad camp or he had an injury because it looked to me like he was consciously just trying to burn out as fast as possible. And when it didn't happen, it looked to me like he was trying to definitely hang on and win. But somebody usually only does that when something has gone wrong. And I don't know. I don't know what that was for him because early on he was, you know, lighting uh, Michael, whatever his name is, on fire early. And then once that gas was spent, that was it. Uh, fought off a good takedown in the first, but then in the was it the second or the third, just absolutely conceded it to full guard, and then that was it. You know, he had nothing left. You know, I don't know why you would do that unless you were way overconfident. 
or you something was wrong and you knew you didn't have a gas tank, so you might as well just burn it all as fast as possible. Um, you know, Khalil is a very talented guy, um, but that was, I think there's, I, I don't know, but it seems like there's more to the story with that fight. Miles Jury defeating Rick Glenn did whatever he wanted to him. Miles Jury is, uh, when you compare the two, more of a finesse fighter. Rick Glenn, more of a um, sort of a physically imposing kind of guy. Likes to like get there and make it nasty, you know? Uh, and then Miles Jury just completely it was always one step ahead. Didn't really matter where it went, whether it was the takedown, whether it was being on top, whether it was reversing him on the one takedown he tried, whether it was uh, at range, switching stances, getting this guy's pressure. He saw the teep kicks up the gut, disrupting him, pushing him against the fence, laying him. Everywhere this fight went, Miles Jury was better. What a win for Miles Jury this is. Uh, he didn't get a chance to speak in the, in the to Joe Rogan in the octagon, and I know he felt bad about it. But this is why you got to do media, Miles. People been asking me, uh, uh, Miles to do media, and he very politely declines. But I think he he should start because I would love to hear what he has to say and how he feels about this. You know, he had a rough run against Donald Cerrone, and I know he took some time off. He's only still only twenty nine years old. This is his last two fights he had, and Charles Oliveira as well. But um, and Oliveira had missed weight for that contest. He then beat Mike Dillatori viciously, and then he just beat Rick Glenn. So he didn't finish Rick Glenn. He's got some work to do. Rick Glenn being the former World Series of Fighting champion. But it just looked to me like he had total comfortability in every phase of the game. And not only every phase of the game, every phase of the game through every round. So, you know, those contexts can change a little bit. And it looked to me like Rick was not a quitter. But it looked to me like Rick kind of knew that he was fighting a better guy. And, you know, so you're hoping for a Hail Mary there. You're not going to quit. You're going to keep trying. You know, you got dignity about this. But it looked to me like he kind of understood that, uh, you know, unless a miracle happens here, this guy's going to get the W here tonight. Um, not everybody can be uh, the winner. But that brings us to Marvin Vittori versus Omari Akhmedov, a draw. The one thing I'll say about this is Marvin Vittori, I think, has some potential. He would he would slip a shot or he would uh, put his head forward to, to bait and then pull and then counter. But then after that, he'd get hit with flurries where he wasn't moving anymore. So it looked like to me like he had rehearsed slip, counter or pull counter, but then he would pull counter and then go right back to being kind of centered. And then Akhmedov was doing these, like, you know, winging shots at, at nauseum. Yeah, he'd miss the first two, but he'd catch the next three. So that was a bit of a problem for him. But to, for him to show that kind of hustle, Vittori did at the end of that third round, to really put it on him, I thought he kind of deserved the win, although I thought Akhmedov was doing, doing the much better damage early, sort of midway through the fight, second round, a little bit harder to call. Um you know, Akhmedov at 30 kind of is who he is. I think his purpose in the UFC in that in that middleweight division is to basically like be a test for guys like Vittori. But Vittori at 24, like you, you can see him pulling and countering, slipping, countering. And he's clearly got some ability to get up off the bottom. And he's clearly got a good gas tank. And he clearly wants it, right? You can see how much he wants it. There's some polishing that needs to happen. But I actually think he's, he's a big, strong kid. Like he might be something in middleweight. Not He's not something right now. I thought the fight answered a lot of questions about the, some of the things he's good at. He can take a hell of a shot. He's got good cardio. He's got a tremendous amount of heart. Um, and he's got some skills. But he's got some skills where they're like, they're good enough to avoid being absolutely run over. And they're good enough where if you have some other things, it keeps you in fights. But the slipping and the pulling, they were just, they were just a little one note. He couldn't really advance beyond that um, very far. 
Uh, Mateus Nicolau defeating Lewis Smolka, 30-26, 30-26, 30-25. Lewis Smolka had a high-water mark against Ben Wynn and just has had a lot of problems since then. Uh, Nicolau just being very precise, very powerful. You could even see Smolka block shots, and Nicolau would hit them, and it was still enough to cause him problems. On the ground, I think that I said I mentioned this, I thought Smolka has really good defensive BJJ, and someone's like, "Well, if he's getting overwhelmed, how does he have defensive BJJ?" He didn't really get overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. He would get he would get controlled, but over good defensive jujitsu can mean two things. One, it could mean I don't put myself in bad positions. The other one could be I get in bad positions, but I always survive and get back out. And he's got the latter in spades. He's got a lot of that. But I just think he was physically overwhelmed here. Like guys who are like powerhouses, who are quick, who've got good movement, you know, and they've got they've got really good, sharp, crisp boxing, especially in this case. They give him a lot of problems. It was just a really nightmare matchup for him. I, I, it's first flyweight to lose four in a row, you know, but it's not reflective of how talented he can actually be. And then Tim Elliott just running over Mark De La Rosa, hitting that um, – Hitting that uh, anaconda choke, you know what I love about that anaconda choke. He was he was he was beating him wherever he wanted, but what I really loved about it was from Turtle. You see a lot of guys. Turtle is when if I've got my hands on the mat and my knees and my feet on the mat, but or just say my knees on the mat. I'm kind of just like a turtle, right? That's what that's what the position is. You can look up um, Eduardo Tellis has a lot of uh, attacks in pure jujitsu from there. Um, I think developing attacks from there, not just back takes. And not just, you know, leg rides, but other kinds of attacks from there will really do you some solids. And Tim Elliott, like Nurmagomedov's takedowns, the first attempt on a, t- on a, on a uh, submission, not that great. Second attempt on a submission, better. Third and fourth, yeah, now you're in trouble. And it's not, that, it's not just that he has to sort of recalibrate and find how it works. He just, you know, the first two times may fail, but he still can control you with it. You know, again, Lewis Smoka with that Ben Wynn fight was able to use that guillotine to sit him back down, back to his back, you know? Um, and in this particular case, from Turtle, able to get this deep, deep choke and then just sit to the side. You know, a lot of guys don't have attacks from Turtle like that. They do a lot of the common things. They go to the back, or they might sit for a guillotine, you know, but they don't have a lot of the same attacks that he does. And I think you see so many people sitting in Turtle these days because they want to get on their base and they want to get up. Having a lot of different options there, I think, is going to do you a lot of good. Tim Elliott at Bantamweight, um, showing some skills there. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine if we can at L Thomas News. Uh, you can tweet me, and I will answer some questions now. Let's do that now. Someone says, seems like the main theme for UFC 219 was underhooks. Underhooks, man. It is It is the most important thing maybe in all of fighting is understanding a very clear concept. Inside control is what matters. When someone puts arms here and arms here, and they put their hands together, and they do it right, which is usually right behind the shoulder blades or right around the waist, and they suck you in. You cannot imagine how hopeless and helpless you feel. It is the key to controlling everything. You're controlling. Again, What if you're on the ground and you're trying to control somebody, what are you trying to control? You're trying to control the head, neck, or just the head and the waist. That's what you're trying to do. So it's, again, that you can get it up around here, up around here, and then you suck someone in. You bring them to you. You attach them to yourself. That's what a lot of those body lock takedowns from Habib's, uh, Habib are. When you attach them to yourself and then you roll a certain way or you push a certain way, you can get a lot out of it. And that's that is it is so critically clear. Look at how much you can control somebody if they're out here like a marionette, you know. Uh it is it's 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 everything. Technical fighting is inside fighting. Always remember that. It's always who can get those and, and you see it with not just this. How about Kane Velasquez? He digs an underhook, and then what is he doing? Just banging on Junior Dos Santos. Bang, bang. Because you're controlling somebody. You can push a shoulder. You can 
direction. You can bend them down. You can snap down on the waist of the hand, uh, the, the, the neck at the same time. It's everything you need to steer and control and lift and drop and turn and pull and push an underhook. An underhook is life in fighting. Uh, hypothetical matchmaking on a scale of one to ten, how excited would you be for Gaethje versus Barboza? I could, I, I in the words of Jeremy Botter, I would not have any pants on. So it says you are pretty opinionated about powerlifting. Opinionated about a lot of things. Since I was able to bench press four hundred pounds in my thirties and forties, I figured anyone could train to do it. A competitive powerlifter disagreed with me. Uh, the competitive powerlifter is true. Is right. There could be a lot of reasons for that. It depends on your size and what you mean by benching. You know, one rep max of four uh, is pretty good. But no, not everyone can bench four hundred. Uh, I can't bench four hundred. Now, I think that is almost entirely due to the fact that my shoulder is completely fucked up, uh, which I've had it surgically repaired. Because once the load gets right around three seventy ish, I can feel it like almost like someone put a hot iron in it. Um, and I've just kind of been stuck there. Now, maybe if I have a bench is that it's about 375, but um, if I have a, somebody who can help me get around it, I'm sure I could probably exceed that limit. I've been sort of self-training for the last year and a half or more just on that, but uh, it is, it's a real major problem. And I've tried everything, man. Um, it's hard for me. So no. Um, and I've let my other lifts have gone way up, but that one is just kind of, Stuck right there, so no. Uh, thoughts on these possibilities? Magni Masvidal, great contest. I still would favor Masvidal, though. Esparza, double K. Ooh, tough fight for Esparza, but it would be interesting to see if she can get the takedown. Kevin Lee Barboza. Hmm. I would like Kevin Lee in that contest, but that would be a very, very good one as well. Regarding the Elliott finish, Elliott used a setup from Folk Style that Askren calls the Assassin which is discussed in BJJ's Askren study. I have to watch it again, but I'm sure that's true. So it says, I noticed how Holly tends to walk forward while throwing two, three to punches in the air before getting in range. How much did that contribute to her getting countered? I don't know if that was that, that so much because that can be a little confusing at times. I think it may have been not that, number one, she may have over-relied on that. And that too, to me, it's just a linear path. Like she doesn't bounce in and bounce out. She doesn't like, you know, GSP. GSP will jab and then cut the corner at the same time. So GSP will go jab, jab, jab. And like by the time the third jab is there, he's rotated that far in. You don't see a lot of that from her. You see a lot of absorbing pressure and then exiting. That's what she does. She likes to exit at certain angles. So she likes to get out of the way of her right. She likes to throw the left, throw the left, and then exit out of the right and then turn. Or um, she might use the right hook to then exit. You know, she can do a lot of different things. She does a lot of that. But I don't, to me, it's like the da-da-da-da-da-da. Like, she's just trying to create a little confusion. That's fine at first. If you over-rely on it, that's the problem. But the bigger issue to me is it's just this. It's just this. That, that to me, it seems like the bigger problem. Uh Okay, I don't know what this is. Let's see. Based on everyone else's responses, I'm pissed. Been a Fight Pass member for over a year, and by every pay-per-view, I've always filled out their surveys, and my biggest suggestion was discounts for subscribers. Would have loved a discount. All right. 
Someone says about Nurmagomedov, agreed, but he couldn't finish a sandwich. Surely a legit black belt would surely relish 15 or 25 minutes from him. Well, Rafael DeSanjos had an opportunity, and he got ragdolled. He's basically a welter. What would happen if he fought Maya? Maya would be a bit of an interesting test case, but... Uh, um, The notion that he's like, that a black belt would just have their way with him. No, no. Uh, someone says about Hooker, he fought a great fight and didn't stray from not letting Red Hawk get flashy on him. People were booing, but I thought it was a great technical fight. It was. Someone says, at the bar I was at, I heard a couple of, but she looks like a man comments after Cyborg won. No matter what, she'll always have her detractors. Yeah, of course. So it says, subscribed and followed, hashtag support. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Esparza won two and three. Ray Charles could see that. Yeah, I'd be all right with that. I don't have too much of an argument. With all the jumping around these days and Habib probably having to wait for Connor Ferguson, why not Habib Woodley at 170? No. No, no, no. Just keep it the way it is. Uh, thoughts on these possibilities? Oh, yeah, we already went through these. Um, okay, well, if that's the case, then I think we're probably... Do we have any other questions? Oh, yes, here we go. Sorry, I almost missed all these. Let's see. Someone says, about uh, Cyborg, hell, John Jones has tested positive a lot more, and he still has more fans than other clean and decent champions. Happy for Cyborg. Okay. It seems Connor should avoid Habib. Why fight him? The risk-reward just doesn't make sense because you're the fucking champion. <laughs> Very simple. Get out there and defend it or let go of the title and don't. But, you know, well, this guy's tough. Why? Hey, I'm in the business of fighting and competitive athletics. Why should I answer for a challenge? That's the whole fucking point. That's the whole point is because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get paid money to answer challenges. And you could be selective about it, and we all know how the game works, but at its core, what really drives this is, in my judgment, at least relative to, to boxing, is yes, spectacle drives it sometimes, of course. Um, celebrity drives it sometimes, of course. But really at its core, what you want to see is athletic excellence and challenge. Like, why would I want... I'm, I'm going to be a competitive fighter, but I don't want to fight the guys who would be real tough. Well, that's sort of the point, right? So... Uh, Again, people want to compare Ben Askren to Habib, and I understand the comparisons are very, very, very similar. But I don't feel like I don't feel like the ferocity on top of Habib is is the same. I think he's a little bit of a little bit ahead. Someone says, uh, "Until I saw the Yorina Bars fight, I did not respect Cyborg. What diminishes her is MMA challengers. Wish she would have beaten down Ronda Rousey. Hoped Holly could give her a challenge. Holly did give her a challenge." Just not the one that you know was going to give her the win. Uh, someone 
Someone says the post fight specials, Luke. I love them. Can't wait to see the big 2018 changes. Calvillo is from Mexico, and not Spanish like Valencia. Uh, I understand that Mexican Espanol pronounces double L like E. I, I I get all that, but it's not incorrect to pronounce it the other ways. In fact, if you talk to most Latin Americans, they'll tell you that Colombians speak the the purest form of Spanish. So, bit of an inconvenient fact, I'm afraid. Um. What do you think of Anderson's chances in light of tonight? Oh, Megan Anderson's. Ooh, not great. Um, I always thought that Holly was just trying to fight out of a deficit. You know, I mean, I know she had fought higher in boxing, but at this point in her career, 135 in MMA seems like really the best place for her to be situated. Really some good stuff there. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I thought that it was an uphill battle. And so, um, in many ways, being an is the same problem because she's naturally fine for the weight class, but she has the opposite problem of home. Home had was you know relatively undersized is a strong word, but not optimally suited, but had a lot of veteran savvy. Anderson's the reverse. She has she is optimally suited physically, but has none of the veteran you know, development. And, she, and she, it's not like she's been fighting in this time since she was supposed to have that fight to begin with. Like, there's just a lot of development I think she has to go through that that she hasn't had a chance to, to work out yet. So, um, all right. Before I overstay my welcome, let me say this. This is my last video of 2017. Let me say something about this. I know a lot of you won't believe me, but it's true. You need to believe me because it's really, it's already in motion. So I have, I'm working on some personal projects here that are going to, if they work out like they're supposed to, transform the way that this experience works. Transform. And they're not minor projects that I'm working on. They're big ones. So um, they should be finished by the end of first quarter 2018. Um, there's a lot of work to do. But let me say this. This time last year, I was talking about Ronda Rousey's loss to Amanda Nunes. And in the last year, I kind of figured out what I really wanted to do with YouTube. It took me a while to figure out how it works. Not how it works, but how I wanted it to work for me and what I wanted to do. I think I finally have a good idea. And I want to take that to the next level. So let me say this. If you have been here all this year to watch this, thank you. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it. Low these many late nights. You don't have to watch this. You make a choice to do so, and it means a lot to me. I never take a single viewer for granted. And I know you guys have dealt with me having dog shit technology and dog shit everything from day one. Like everything about this just looks like a terrible B movie. And I think it's time for that to end. Um, so I'm going to have better content and I'm going to have a lot better looking content in 2018. And I'm going to bring back um, the watch parties with Othello and Raphael. So that should be a lot of fun too. So... It's been a year, and I'm in the exact same place I was last time. Let me just say thank you so much. I appreciate every last one of you. Subscribe to the channel below. Like the video. And I will see you guys uh, in 2018. And until next time, boys and girls, you guys are the best. I don't deserve a single one of you, but I'm glad you're around. Enjoy your New Year's Eve. Please don't drink and drive. Get an Uber. Take a bus. Stay home. Do whatever you got to do because we got a lot of work to do in 2018 and I need you to be here 
to, to, to be witness to it and to be party to it. And let's do this all together. Thank you guys so much. It's been one hell of a year. I will see you guys on the other side. It's time, my friends, to get some sleep.